The doctrine about the resurrection is beautifully summarized in our confessions, and especially in Lord's Day 17 of the Heidelberg Catechism. You can find that on page 531. And there we find a summary of God's word as follows. How does Christ's resurrection benefit us? First, by his resurrection, he has overcome death so that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained for us by his death. Second, by his power, we too are raised up to a new life. Third, Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. After the sermon, we will sing together from hymn 36, the stanzas 1 through 4. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, what a wonderful day this is. Today, we may celebrate the gift of life, as we may, of course, every Sunday. We may celebrate the life of God's Son in our own lives. On Easter morning, Christ rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. The grave could not hold him. And now we too may share in that victory over the grave, in that victory over death. The vast majority of people in this world believe that Jesus Christ was an ordinary man in every respect. He lived on earth, they will concede that, but he also died just like everybody else. He was put into a grave, and that's where he remained. He turned to dust. The biblical account about the resurrection it's just a story made up by some followers of Jesus after his death. There are many modern theologians who also believe that. One such theologian states that death is part of the cycle of life. Life cannot exist without death. Look around you in nature, he says, the death of the trees is the in the forest is the fertilizer for a new forest. Nothing comes to life without death. That's also the way it is with the human race. The death of the one person makes room for the life of another. And so we all have to die. Nothing can change that. There is no such thing as eternal life. There is no such thing as the resurrection. Life is all part of the cycle of death and birth. That's also what the Buddhists believe. Buddhism is taking hold in the Western society more and more. Buddhism describes life as a wheel of friction that goes on in a painful cycle of birth and rebirth. The only way you can get out of that painful cycle is by totally detaching yourself from this material world. Buddhists want to escape the desires of the flesh, indeed flesh itself. The material, the physical is not important. 
to us as Christians, it is. And that is why we believe that we will also be able to continue to live in the flesh, for we believe in the resurrection of the body. But to believe in the resurrection is not a natural thing for us, is it? It's hard. We have never really seen anybody who actually rose from the dead. All we have seen is bodies being placed into the grave. And those bodies are there to this day. And yet it is important for us to believe the resurrection. For as Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, if you do not believe in the resurrection, then your faith is in vain. If you do not believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, then there is no hope for you. And then you have nothing to live for. It is only because of the resurrection that we have hope for this life. And that's what I want to preach to you about this Easter morning. It is about the wonderful news of the resurrection. And we will see that because of the resurrection, you are victorious in the first place over death, in the second place over sin, and in the third place, once again, over death. As I said, it's hard for us to believe in the resurrection. Even the disciples of the Lord Jesus did not believe it at first. The Lord Jesus had told them in clear language on several occasions that he was going to triumph over death. He first said it in symbolic language, speaking about his body as a temple, and that that temple will be destroyed, and then in three days it will be raised up again. But later on he speaks to them in very clear language. But it didn't register with them. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross, they thought that that was the end. That's why they did not even think it worthwhile to visit the grave. On that first Easter morning, they stayed in bed. Not one of them thought that the Lord Jesus might have meant it when he said that he would rise from the dead. They did not go to that grave full of the expectation of a great miracle. Even the women that did go to that grave on the third day did not go there to see a miracle. No, they went there to see the dead body of the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not expect to see him alive again. But what did they find? They found an empty tomb. It was a tomb not robbed of its content. No, they found the strips of linen neatly folded. And the angel, an angel of the Lord, had to remind them of what the Lord Jesus had told them before, namely, as it says in Luke 24, verse 7, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and then on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered the, those words of the Lord Jesus. But even the fact of the resurrection did not right away make much difference to them. The disciples soon began to rebuild their former lives. They started up their fishing business again and they engaged in other activities. They still thought that their lives would go on the way it was before they met Jesus. 
and that's understandable. For the Lord Jesus appeared to them only a few times after the resurrection. And he was not surrounded by the large crowds as he was before his resurrection. And he no longer drank and ate with his disciples as he did before. He appeared to them on the first Sunday. And then for all week, they didn't see him again. His appearances now were sporadic. Why? Well, because the Lord Jesus wanted to teach them. He wanted to teach them that they had to live out of faith. He wanted to teach them to learn to be without his physical presence on earth. He wanted to teach them that his present earth is not the final destination for man. That's what they thought. It's not this sinful world where you will find true home and happiness and fulfillment. He had to leave, go to heaven. Listen to what he said to the apostle Thomas. He said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. John 20, verse 29. Blessed are you when you believe. He wanted them to have faith. He wanted them to believe in the miracles, in the miracle of the resurrection, so that they could gain an understanding of what his mission on earth was really all about. The resurrection pointed to total renewal of all life. And that is why the most central doctrine of the Christian faith is the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, this is what it is all about. This is where you find the Christian religion at its greatest. New life through the Lord Jesus. The resurrection pointed to that wonderful life you can have through Christ. No one can explain the actual resurrection of the Lord Jesus. No one was there when Jesus rose from the dead. And yet it's a fact. He presents the women who go to the grave and later the disciples with an empty tomb. And then he appears to them in the flesh. There are many, many witnesses to all this. So the resurrection is not something thought up by man. No, God is the one who thought it up. And he is the one who gives life. He is the grand designer of life. Who can explain life? When does life begin? Do you think that the most learned scientist can explain to you how life began? Oh, sure, scientists know lots of things. But they have actually only scratched the surface about the life of animals and plants and human beings. They discover more and more all the time, and there is so much more to be discovered. They actually know just a tiny little bit. And there's one thing that they will never, ever know, and that is how life begins. No scientist has ever been able to explain that. And that is because God is the one who created life. Only he is the one who can make that 
which is dead alive. In the final analysis, even the most brilliant scientist can explain very little to you. There's certainly not a scientist in the world that I can explain to you how life began. Only God can explain that. And that is what he does in his word. But what is life? What is true life? Well, true life you cannot have if you remain in your sins. Because all men die. The Catechism says that the first benefit of the resurrection is that he has overcome death. So that he could make us share in the righteousness which he had obtained by his death. The man who later became known as Buddha, as the Buddha, was struck by the suffering as he looked around him. He was born in a royal family when he set out to see the world, and he discovered the pain and the sorrows that people had to endure. And consequently, Buddha, some five or six centuries before Christ, he wanted to find the answer to suffering. He noted that everything on this earth is transient. In other words, everything changes all the time. And so you can never really attain what you want. It's an exercise in futility. And so according to him, if you want to escape the cycle of suffering, you should not crave these transient things of the world. You must detach yourself from all your possessions, including your own body and including your own ego. You have to come to the realization that we're all one. And then you will discover that even that oneness really is emptiness. It's nothing more than vapor. It seems that Ecclesiastes is also saying that. The teacher says that everything is meaningless. And so, in essence, Buddha is right about that. That's also what the Bible teaches. If you want to pursue true happiness in this life, you will never find it. He's right. No matter what riches you may acquire for yourself, Solomon says that too in Ecclesiastes, or the preacher, or no matter what fame you may receive, you will never ever yet find true happiness, true fulfillment. There will always be an emptiness in your life. For it is indeed true that trying to hang on to material things, to whatever else exists in the universe, is impossible. You can't. It's like trying to nail jello to the wall. That's the way it is for everybody, including the believer. The Buddha and the preacher, as far as that goes, are on the same wavelength. They're both saying the same thing, and yet they are worlds apart. For the preacher, unlike Buddha, puts God into the picture. Only through God can you escape this present sinful reality, including all the injustices of the world, through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Only God, through his Holy Spirit, can cleanse you and help you in your suffering. Only he can give you comfort.
Do you know what God promised to this child in front of us, Eli Vandegreen, and to everyone else who believes? Well, we just heard it. As the form for the baptism of infants says, he promises to give him a new life. He promises to cleanse him. And he promises all of us to cleanse us from our sins. And he promises that he is going to give to Eli to give him everything that he needs. He provides him with all good and that he will avert all evil or he will turn it to his benefit. And so he is going to be washed. He is washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus is going to give him and you and me the renewal of life. Through the blood of Christ and his righteousness, he is going to be able to deal with the suffering and the pain and the injustice in the world. You can escape all the pain and sorrow, but only through Christ. At the end of the worship service, I may proclaim that the Lord turn his face towards you. In other words, that he is favorably inclined towards you. That he smiles at you and me. Well, that's why we come to this church. We don't come here to hear that we are going to be turned into nothing. That our pursuit for fulfillment and enjoyment is an empty pursuit. No, on the contrary, we come to hear that we have a great hope in this life. And in the life to come. We come here to hear that wonderful news, that wonderful news of the resurrection. And so that is not just something for later. It is news for right now. The form for the baptism of infants also says that he not only cleanses us from our sins, but that he will also give us the renewal of our daily lives. And the catechism says that we are raised up by God's power. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul wrote to the Ephesians that they were dead in their transgressions and sins in which they used to live and they followed the ways of this world. They were dead in their trespasses. You can also say that they were in prison because of their sins. Because their sins prevented them from having a real life. Brothers and sisters, when you follow the ways of the world, then you are in prison. You are in the prison of your own desires and of your own destructive behavior. And you will never get out of that prison unless you throw yourself at the mercy of God, unless you ask Lord your God to renew you, to cleanse you, and to save you. And that's possible through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Do you know in whose power you are, where you are in that prison? Then you are in the power of Satan. Anyone who does not have Christ is in the grip of Satan. And Paul describes what such a life is like. He says that such a person wants nothing else but to gratify the cravings of his sinful desire, of his sinful nature, and to follow its desires and thoughts. Well, that's what we are like, aren't we? All of us. As far as that goes, we are not that much different from the people of the world. 
For example, if someone hurts our feelings, then we lash out. Or if someone else has something that we really like, then we want to have it too. We have jealousy, vengeance, greed. All these things we also experience. But do you know what the difference is between those who through faith belong to Christ and those who don't? Well, the catechism says that by his power, we are raised to a new life. And it is the daily renewal of our lives. Christ is triumphant over Satan and sin through Christ for you and for me. It is through the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in your heart every day. That is what God promises to a baby as he just did. And that's what he promises to you and to me. We do not have to despair because of our sin. And Paul says the same thing in Ephesians 2. He says in the verses 4 through 5, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ and here it comes, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. To me, brothers and sisters, this is one of the most wonderful statements in the Bible. We are dead in our transgressions. How true that is. Yet, in spite of it all, God makes us alive in Jesus Christ. That, brothers and sisters, is the great benefit of the resurrection. And it is that knowledge that keeps me going every day. For when you realize the magnitude of your sins and the great debt that you owe God, then you would go stark raving mad without Christ. But because of Christ within me, I have great joy instead. And that's the great joy that you and I may have. That's what you and I may cling to. And that's what I may proclaim from this pulpit time and time again. And God continues to work in you in your hearts and your minds. He reminds you not to follow the sinful desires of the flesh. And we try not to, don't we? And that's why we do have already a beginning of the obedience that God requires from us. The wonderful news is that because you are aware of your sins and because you humble yourself before God, Christ is there for now your righteousness. Through him you find justice. He has triumphed over Satan. He has triumphed also over our fleshly desires. He has given you and me a new life and he continues to give you new life each day through the forgiveness of sins through his Holy Spirit. And the final benefit of the resurrection, the Heidelberg Catechism tells us, is that Christ's resurrection is to us a sure pledge of our glorious resurrection. Christ triumphed over the second death for our sakes. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, instead of an eternal death with Satan, we may have an eternal life with Christ. When Christ ascended into heaven, he received a glorious body and an indestructible body. He no longer had a body 
that was weak, prone to sickness and death. And we may share in that benefit. It says in Philippians 3 verse 21 that he will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We have begun our new life by Christ's power and in the end we're going to be like him. We now have already a foretaste of what awaits us. And what awaits us is so beautiful that we can only have a small inkling of what it's going to be like. We only have a small inkling of what the Lord Jesus Christ through his triumph over death has given to you and to me. Now this world is full of futility, emptiness, and the Buddhist believes that such emptiness is our fate. And an unbeliever tries to avoid the whole question of our existence, he doesn't know, and he doesn't want to dwell on it. It's too depressing. When I die, I just go in the grave and I rot. Thankfully, that's not true for those who believe. Indeed, the book of Ecclesiastes also speaks about the vanity of this life, which is emptiness, fluff, a fistful of wind, a pocket of nothing. Vanity is this, brothers and sisters, to spend your whole life paying your mortgage and then to die. It means to be busy with all kinds of things and to do all kinds of things and go all over the world and yet get nowhere. Vanity is the hope that tomorrow is going to bring something new, that tomorrow is going to be different, that there is gold at the end of the rainbow. Vanity is everything that leads to nothingness. That is the life of an unbeliever. That is the life of a Buddhist. In 1 Corinthians 15, vanity is also mentioned. It's mentioned in connection with the resurrection. In verse 2, it says that faith and going to church and listening to a sermon are nothing but vanity, wind, noise. If the Lord Jesus Christ did not rise from the grave, life means nothing without the resurrection. In the last chapter, of, in the last verse of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, we are told how everything has changed because of the resurrection of Christ. And then Paul makes a most significant statement in verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know, you know that your labor is not in vain. That same word again. It's not empty. No, it's full of meaning. Why? Because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, why do you believe? Why do you go to church? Why do you make your financial contributions to the church? Why do you send your children to a Christian school? Why do you try to live holy lives? Why do you do the things that you do? Why do you work? Why do you sleep? Why do you breathe? What is the purpose of it all? Do you do it because it's expected from you? Out of tradition? Because that's all you know what to do? Why do you do the things that you do? Think about it. Let your life not be in vain. But the Lord God says that if you put your hope in God, then he will reward you. His resurrection, it says, a sure pledge 
of your glorious resurrection. We live to the praise of God. And all these things we have to do. Yes, we have to breathe. We have to live. We have to go to church. But do it for the glory of God because he wants to make you totally glorious. He gives you the hope of a glorious resurrection. A pledge means a proof, a guarantee. In other words, it is a sure thing that you will live here on this earth forever and ever in most glorious bliss. That's what God promises. And that life is going to all those who have new life now. God gives you that glorious life. For the glory comes from him and through him for all those who believe. No matter what the so-called scientists of today tell you, Christ has risen from the dead. He left an empty tomb. He rose bodily into heaven. And he is there right now at the right hand of the Father to plead our cause. Why? Because he loves those who belong to him. That, beloved, is the joy of the resurrection. Live out of that joy. Amen.